This episode of the Randy Russell Podcast is brought to you by Max and Leon, offering purrs and meows and cuddles to visitors daily. Watch out for your plants and glassware though. It's Max and Leon. Find us in future episodes at rspeen.com and Apple Podcasts. Questions or comments? Email us at rrpodcast2000 at gmail.com. This episode's guest host, Evan Lipson, has operated as a musician since adolescence, intuitively seeking the liminal realms in which intellect and instinct, history and myth, and creative and destructive force intersect. Drawn towards aberrant perspectives at an early age, his formative experiences were primarily rooted in extreme and often discordant forms of rock, free improvisation, modernist composition, jazz, outsider pop, soundtracks, noise, and electronic music. Late last year he was in Milwaukee with Roughhousing, who will be releasing a new recording and touring Europe in March. On the Randy Russell podcast. I'm your guest host today. My name is Evan Lipson, and now I'd like to warmly introduce Randy Russell himself. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the word podcast? Does it kind of remind you of Invasion of the Body Snatchers a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I resisted the whole idea of podcasts for a long time, and uh, I didn't even listen to them. I was hearing about them for years because I just thought it, the word kind of put me off a little. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's the, the first thing I think of is it sounds like the an illness or something. Maybe uh, you might want to get that lanced. And the, you know, some of my friends in yeah. mine used to refer to people as pod people. <laughs> pod people, yeah. And some of the pod life. people. <laughs> um, but we're not pod people. And so it, had, yeah, it starts out with a negative connotation, and then eventually things you just get used to them and they don't have, you know, you don't have a problem with it anymore yeah what's in a name um, i had a lot of things like that where at first i think there were what else was there that i really had a problem with it um i don't know like you know over the years yogurt yeah yeah yogurt is one of them <laughs> so what compelled or motivated you initially into stepping into the podcast realm well, my um, my f- uh, fr- friend Mark suggested it, and uh, he's the producer for this podcast, mm-hmm. and he had this idea about it, and 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 I thought it was nice, a nice idea, and then I, I started th- to catalog the idea or the uh, the reasons I had against it. So I just came up with this list of reasons, and I was going to say thanks for suggesting it. It's really nice of you, but. Here's the reasons why I don't want to do it, and some, somehow in making all these this list of reasons, then I thought maybe it is a good idea, so it sort of backfired on me, <laughs> and so and then I thought then I got excited about it, so I thought maybe well maybe it'll work, but um, it's part of it too is if someone wants to collaborate with you on a, some project, I've over the years I've had a lot of people come up with things and. 
um, you never know if they're going to follow through or not. Mm-hmm. So any, in the times when people do follow through and and pursue things, it's, it's kind of special because it's a lot less than the people who just come up with ideas and then kind of drop drop them. Yeah, a lot of people um, have which ideas. Is, which is fine, you know, fine. I mean, you know, I've come up with a million projects that don't get past that stage. Um, but it's nice when things, you actually follow through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Sorry, have you been to Milwaukee before? I, swear, I, I don't know. I've just met you today. so. Um, and, uh, I've been to Milwaukee about a good three or four times in my existence. Um, probably a few of those were with Jack. And I think maybe one, other, one or two other times with some uh, previous bands that were doing things, uh, not improvised music. But, okay. Uh, one of them, I had the good fortune, which uh, uh, playing well. I'll say that the the show itself wasn't very fortunate, but right behind the space where the show was taking place, behind the venue, um, was the first real um, tiki bar that I had ever been to. Well, I, I don't mean real, but uh, one that really um, revealed. What, what this could actually be and and uh, I, I still like hold this place in it oh yeah Milwaukee's got that ended up being bars. this whole the whole path that I went down oh so then you got interested in tiki bars then for, from that um, or that kind of culture Did yeah well I think I was I was interested in it before I knew what it was um, but that was the one that kind of put the final which one was it do you remember it's called Foundation oh Foundation yeah, yeah. Um, cause I think I grew up in the Northeast and Tiki was something that existed for, it was like a 40 year fad right. much from yeah. the end of prohibition till around started really dying off after around, after, around the Vietnam war and into the early seventies. Mm-hmm. But, um, the, you could still see, you know, you can, you could go to like a Chinese restaurant and you would see these, these mugs with like a Fu Manchu kind of face on it and it would have be called a zombie or a mai tai Uh um and i was always just kind of like struck my imagination of what that could be um maybe my parents gave me a sip of one that was horrible it was like a you know canned pineapple juice mixed Mm -hmm. with some bacardi 151 (laughs) that was about it so i i didn't think the drinks could be anything special um and then Separate from that, I started to get interested in um, exotica music. All right, yeah. Um, but I didn't see these things coming together mm-hmm. until, I mean, I re- started reading about it, and then Foundation was the first experience where it was just like all of the elements were combined, and the drinks were actually the real drinks, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I was hooked. Yeah, the spirit the of found, Aloha. Yeah, Foundation, that's it. planted itself. A good one. There was a place in Columbus, Ohio called the, the Kahiki, which yes. is uh, fam- have you heard about that? Or you have- yeah, it's quite a mythical Polynesian palace that is now, I believe, been turned into a Walgreens. Yeah, Walgreens always all seem to go in where the great places are, get torn down, <laughs> and then become a Walgreens. <laughs> yeah, well, exotic could be anywhere. Maybe maybe they have some uh, <laughs> some tropical ephemera in there. I don't know. But I, I went there with my parents when uh, I was when I was little because I grew up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. 
And so we would go down to Columbus, and it was, it was one of my my brother and I was our favorite one of our favorite things. We just um, it, it was really magical. They had you they had you go in there was a bridge going over some water with with steam coming up and black lights and then flaming they, moai heads. Yeah, yeah, and they they had a giant tiki god fireplace with a you know the fireplace in the mouth. And there were there were tables that you could sit at. The the, the walls were fish tanks, mm. so you look at the fish tank yeah, walls. It. Just it was it was really really elaborate. And um, yeah, there's one place, one of the last great Polynesian palaces that's still going. I think it was recently made into a national historic landmark, so it'll probably be around for some time. But it it th- that's in uh, Fort Lauderdale, which is a place. I guess people imagine tropical, I mean, it actually mm-hmm. is a tropical climate and so forth, and they have these lush gardens and everything. But I think there's something more, I don't know, strangely spectacular in some way about having, you know, Colum- a winter in Columbus, Ohio, and you see these, <laughs> this yeah, uh, right. wild outrigger A-frame design and these flaming moths, and it's like snowing outside. Right. And yeah. so, I mean, it's a really surreal Image. Yeah, the whole building was. Yeah, that the whole design of the whole building. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I don't. I I liked the the food there was I liked, but I, when I was a little kid, I wasn't into it that much. But mm-hmm. it was it was not it was like Polynesian food. That's what they how they defined it. Yeah, crab rangoon, yeah. rimaki things. And like I think that. they have a like a food line now. That's <laughs> that's all that's left at the Kiki is some. Oh yeah, I've yeah, seen them in the, the grocery store yeah, freezer. Grocery store have, free, have frozen their own food. egg rolls and so forth. And it's kind of it's kind of a sad <laughs> reminder. Of it. But I've I've got like there's you know, there's a book that you know put someone put out a book with all the pictures and I think my brother. Yeah, has. yeah, I have actually. Uh, it's the fellow. One of the guys that wrote it, uh, Jeff Cheneau, I think is how you say his last name, is a, also a musician, and uh, he's he's come to some performances we've oh, done. Okay, Columbus. Do you, do you uh, try to when you're on tour? Then do you try to to see if town, certain towns have or are there, are there tiki bars that you know that they're there and you visit? Or? Oh, absolutely. Well, I wouldn't yeah. say it's a primary motivation for touring, <laughs> but it's it's uh, something to keep keep things interesting. Yeah, that's good. How do you like uh, touring? In general? Yeah. Well, it's different with, you know, I, I mean, I, I play uh, a lot of improvised music and mostly do the, the lion's share of touring, play, playing with Jack and uh, Zach. And then we also more recently have this, Zach and, uh, Jack and I have this duo that we've, we've, we've done a tour with out on the West Coast and we'll be, we'll be doing that again soon. Um, but touring with improvised music is completely different than mm-hmm. doing it with anything else because by its very nature, you know, we're not repeating, uh, anything that's predetermined. Right. Um, although that can have changes and variations and the, you know, band can get tighter and so forth mm-hmm. over time. There's, there's benefits to be reaped, um, from playing composed music on tour but uh but in in this way i mean it's it's kind of the um the ultimate music to tour with because these these 
connections can kind of deepen over time. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I often think of uh, these sort of long-term engagements that jazz musicians would have, um, say in the fifties and sixties or whatever, where you'd have like three months, you know, at a club to play every night. And I think to myself, well, who wouldn't sound good after playing mm-hmm. every night for <laughs> three months? So yeah. the closest thing we can get to approximating that in some ways, taking it on the road. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's kind of the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. But also just cause by sheer proximity, I live in Tennessee and, and these guys are around Philly. So, Oh, so you're, so you're, you're the, based in, you're living in a different, all different yeah, Chatt- yeah. Chattanooga, Chattahoochee. Wow. That's where I live. I've been there for about, um, close to seven years. How did you get to know Jack in the first place? I knew Jack, I knew of Jack before I knew Jack. Um, it's usually how it goes, I guess. Um, grown up in Philly, I was in high school in Philly. Okay. And um, starting to become more interested in music that was sort of aberrant in some way or pushing limits, things that were incredibly strange. And improvised music was one of those things that was became obvious to find that and i think there were three people that i found that were doing that in philly at the time um that i was aware of maybe four but primarily jack toshi makihara percussionist and um the late charles cohen who was kind of like the master of the bukla music easel which is an analog synthesizer and I went to see him. I went to see all of them perform at different points, and you know, was really taken with it. But I don't think I was at a stage where I felt um, maybe confident enough to to approach and uh, request the idea of of a session or approach the idea of that. So I went to school in Baltimore, and I think after the first semester, I came home on uh like a winter break and set up a session um sequentially like three days in a row with all three of them Mm -hmm. and uh i think jack was maybe first on the list and i was just you know kind of amazed that (laughs) i mean i think i had had kind of um lionized these people in my mind or thought that in some way that they would be uh, inaccessible or all right but they're they all you know of course really thrilled that somebody would ask them to play because there's people there, there's not a lot really, of people around really highly yeah, yeah it's yeah, like oh of course well now i get uh, it there's only three because there's only three <laughs> um so uh yeah and and uh that was that was a pretty pivotal uh, moment mm-hmm. so you're you're playing bass right you're playing double bass Correct. And uh, like in what you're touring with right now, do you play other instruments? Yeah. Um, not as that's that's what I do most frequently. I mean, I played electric bass for for years as well in more, let's say, rock oriented situations. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, keyboard was my first instrument, but I don't really perform on it. Just, you know, still use it as a tool for 
composition. Um, and I've, I've, so I've taught keyboard and guitar as well. Okay. In addition to bass. Did you play in, you put, did you play in more standard bands, uh, any before doing improvisation? Yeah. When I was, when I was a kid, um, mm. I guess I, I quickly became, let's say, uh, disenchanted with a lot of conventional music pretty early on. Um, but I, I, I was still, there was a long period where I, I was still excited about um, jazz and uh, getting into classical music. And part of that was also just a desire to get to the depths of the instrument or uh, some, some compulsion or feeling that uh, if I was going to, you know, push into the outer limits that, that I needed to have, you know, it's a conventional idea of like having some kind of found traditional con foundation to right, that. Yeah. So, uh, uh -huh. yeah, I mean, I went to a music conservatory and everything mm -hmm. and, you know, pretty followed a, a route of being pretty formally trained. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't do sometimes uh, I'll maybe once a year, somebody will ask me to do some kind of jazz gig. Mm -hmm. Um, which I resisted for a while because I, I was doing that a lot and it didn't make me feel so good about music. So now, now, uh, I actually, I, I can get something out of it because I, I, I think when, when you're doing it all the time, um, it can have the sense of just, um, you know, people are repeating these, these gestures or patterns that are, have been created, you know, decades before. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, there's not a lot that's being added to the canon, So it can feel rather, rather like a pointless exercise. Um, but I think when I'm away from it for a while, um, I don't have, you know, it's, it, you're coming into it fresh. So, um, like all, all of the, the habitual forms and patterns have kind of, um, disappeared and, and you, you can actually, I feel like I'm more genuinely improvising. Oh yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Do you feel like some people probably get into ruts or playing the same type of, yeah, like I mean, most of that music that jazz. I hear, yeah. tends to sound like a, one big rut. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are you are you a, like a kind of a, are you a fan of particular music that's um, more mainstream or traditional jazz? Are there is there certain things you're a kind of a, a music fan of? Uh, yeah, I pursue a lot of. I mean, just whatever whatever I find interesting, but. Uh, for I'd say a good 20 years, I had no interest in any popular music whatsoever, but that's kind of changed recently. Uh -huh. um, probably a, a number of reasons. Um, I think, I think, uh, well, there, there's pro probably been, probably part of that is, is that there's been, um, you know, the, the, the previous sort of dichotomy between you know, the mainstream and the underground has kind of um, exploded mm -hmm. <laughs> or vanished to some degree. I mean, there is still like an observable hierarchy to, 
to some degree, but it's also like now there's just a million streams right, yeah. of, of uh, a million different people. Um, and uh, also with recording technology, like people can, you can, you can do uh, the level of production that one would, would have on say like a very uh, high level pop recording um, in the you know, 80s and 90s. Uh, that would just be cost prohibitive for most people. Uh, you would have to do it in a highly professional studio right, yeah. and have an audio engineer yeah. and everything. Um, but now, uh, if you get some really good quality mics and some other gear, um, you can do it at home. Mm-hmm. So there's some people that have been doing just that. Uh, there's a guy out of England that started this um, this sort of production label this music label but it was also tied into this music that he was doing and some of it he had created these different uh <laughs> like it was a whole school or something like uh all these different pop personas and singers but they were all just him i mean he just made them up mm-hmm. and um and it had this strange quality of i mean a bit of it i think a, a lot of it was intended as parody um it, it it kind of sounds like, um, I mean, it, it's got a lot of the. He's it's very studied, and he understands like a lot of the the sort of tropes and uh, conventions of of popular music structurally and, and so forth. Um, but then there's these little twists that make it sound like something. He's actually trying to make this music that sounds um, almost human, but it's not. I don't know if you know. Do you know about the um, uh, what is this this term? called uh in psychology where the uncanny valley have you ever heard of this no no i don't uh so the uncanny valley is essentially something like where uh, um you can have something that looks increasingly lifelike on a scale and uh the human attraction will increase as it becomes more lifelike and more Mm -hmm. real more human um, so you can get to a level, say, where you look at cute cartoons or stuffed animals, mm-hmm. and uh, they're quite adorable, quite attractive. Uh, you can give, give one to a child, and they'll, they'll, they won't be repelled. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, right before it gets to the simulacrum, meaning like the almost indistinguishable, um, it, there's a it dips right down to like the like people are are disgusted uh-huh. um and they're completely repelled so it's it, it's something um like probably when you've seen like a mannequin out of the corner of your eye yeah you, you yeah. had a unsettling feeling um and you turn over you know it's and you realize oh, i was just a mannequin but but you thought it was maybe a person or somebody mm-hmm. watching you menacingly um and uh i think this guy's kind of trying to do something like that in music um and now what he's he started this maybe five or six years ago uh, since uh a lot of pop music is sort of adrift they're so desperate we don't live in a sort of time it's a period of archetypal chaos so like people don't really uh have any there aren't a lot of sort of iconic figures uh and if they are they're just sort of mimicking some conglomeration of uh I, I, you know, a low rate version of the icons before them. Right. Yeah. Um, they're not really synthesizing or manipulating archetypes. They're just sort of like, you know, 
mimicking them. Um, so I, I think they're desperate to see somebody something like that where it's like, oh, this is a, is a clearly a defined like sellable movement. So this guy that's actually doing something like pretty strange is now being absorbed into like all the sort of a lot of pop musicians of today or like their producers are hiring him or or he's being hired as a producer to to record these oh, <laughs> these mainstream uh, yeah, singers weird. yeah so what's his name do you uh i don't i forget the, the fellow's real name and there's some other people associated with this movement uh but it, the movement itself or the or the label if you will is called um pc music which could be either uh personal computer music or politically correct i'm not sure so he's like interested in that 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 area that's really close but is that is that what you're saying the the, the area where you, the the drops down and gets repulsive or it's I, I i don't know i i haven't read anything what uh, regarding his exact intentions but I, I i'd imagine so i mean it seems like that's yeah. that's, that's an interesting concept trying to explore like i've never heard that before but somehow it makes perfect sense to me mm -hmm. kind of and there's also it. these videos that are made with it and and, and it uses uh, aesthetics of advertising mm -hmm. and um uh even sort of like very vividly colored almost like a overly sort of cutesy uh what's this there's like a sort of Japanese style of, of, mm -hmm. of in which they do a similar thing. Right, so he's like yeah. appropriating that as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's, that's been a, a change. I mean, everything else I feel like I've, I've has been a <laughs> more linear path of, of interest, like the th same things I've kind of always been interested in. They just change and develop over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I like going back to, things a lot and um yeah i guess i guess partly because the older you get you start being more interested in that because the just the time that's gone by yeah. but like going back to things that, that that i that i was interested in at one time and seeing how I, my perceptions have changed so that's always interesting too and mm -hmm. um, is there anything that's surprised you in that regard um yeah every, just about everything surprised i mean a lot of, i can't nothing well, nothing specifically I could say, but well, but you know, but it's always I always hear things differently mm -hmm. after some time has gone by. Um, Could you ever say that you 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 didn't like something, but you dug it? Yeah. <laughs> no, that that I'm just trying to think of a, an example that 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 uh, that I could put to that, but that makes that makes perfect sense to me too. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's maybe some maybe certain uh, literature that I've had that experience with, mm -hmm. um, where that it's almost repulsive in, in a way, or, or difficult, or but that somehow works on works on you in a subconscious way. Yeah. Um, or maybe some mo movies that have have that effect. Yeah, probably, I feel that it's more probably Tarkovsky. You know Tarkovsky's films. Yeah, yeah. yeah tar that 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 would be maybe a perfect way <laughs> to to talk about Tarkovsky. I, I think he's like more more uh, visionary than any filmmaker, in my opinion, of in history. Where mm -hmm. where the films work on you in a way you don't even realize what's going on. And um, I had a friend who saw his Tarkovsky's film stalker yeah. who um went to it at the, saw it for the first time at the theater and he 
and he had to walk out halfway through. And then, yeah, and then the next night he went again, and then he was obsessed with it. <laughs> it <laughs> has, it seems to have that effect of in, inducing an existential crisis. Yeah, <laughs> but it does feel like you're watching something, like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to see a movie, and I know all the feelings of what that's like sitting right. in a theater. But, but uh, his movies do sometimes have like this, this feeling. It's like, no, this is a. Uh, this is like I'm really witnessing a phenomenon or something, yeah, yeah. Or, or this is maybe he's pulling some sort of like alchemical procedure on you. You know, it's yeah, you, fi you figured out something about how film works that <laughs> maybe everybody does in some way, but he's really mani manipulating that and mm -hmm. affecting you. And uh, and you know, a lot of it, a lot of the parts of his movies is just are are just sl very slow. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting there and you're going, nothing's happening, and you're just, but you get into a trance. And um, you know the combination of the, the images and the sound are working on you. Yeah, the sound design is often. I mean, it's a it's a really masterful manipulation, I suppose. But yeah. it, it's like a he's. I think he's aware of um, how to do this on a really like psychological level. A movie like Stalker is really interesting because it can Im imply. You know, it's not a movie that he's using a great deal of special effects mm -hmm. or um, uh, really far out imagery to, but but with the uh, power of suggestion mm -hmm. can really get you into like this this that you are in the zone, you are in yeah. this, this other basically this complete alternate dimension, uh, and then the mystery at the end, of course, you mm -hmm. know, like you have the possibility of. <laughs> entering into this thing and really knowing what's there but of course you can't do that yeah if you if you take any little part out of that movie it just wouldn't make any sense or it might seem comical even but then yeah <laughs> the way it works in a whole so it's, yeah stuff like that i yeah it's different with uh i was thinking about uh memory um you have this discussion with jack and um reading something about this, uh, this, there's this strange kind of uh, cabinet of curiosities, this place in LA called the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Right, this fellow yeah. that had this theory about, uh, I can't remember the full extent of it, but it, but he was he was interested in, in, in memory uh, and was studying, he felt that um, memory didn't really exist and it, it was all an illusion, but he, separated uh short-term memory from long-term memory and short-term he referred to as uh what uh true memory in that it was a decay of actual experience mm -hmm. and therefore was a true truer impression i mean the the experience has go gone it's past everything and now is an illusion of it but it's it's uh it has a tail it's resonating it's decaying uh whereas long-term was something that couldn't be trusted it's it's like a total illusion <laughs> mm -hmm. uh but he had all these graphs of how things pass through with short term and long term um and uh yeah i wonder if there's also something different with um you know music i mean it's different the way we can remember it in the way from something that's um more literary or narrative because it's something that uh I mean, there's music with lyrics, of course, that can have mm -hmm. you know, sentimental qualities. But we're, if we're just talking about sound 
or um, music that's instrumental or something. It's like, uh, you know, this, this thing that speaks just goes direct to emotion and, uh, um, you know, you're, so it can be the some also not even just like with the passage of time, but just even an emotional state that you were in when you were first right. listening, yeah, listening sure. to something. And, uh, I mean, thinking more recently about, uh, even the purpose or meaning of music, uh, which could be seen as something like, um, if you have the known world or the world of order and, uh, you know, the unknown world and the world, the realm of chaos, um, you could look at something like music as maybe, maybe its purpose is something like a bridge between those two worlds. Um, and, uh, this is getting a little bit abstract, but, uh, but then I was also thinking about like, uh, like in a way, like improvised music. I had this thought recently, uh, with Jack about, uh, like this paradox of improvised music in some way. I mean, I often think of it in some sense as like, uh, not even being, maybe it's not even music at all. Uh, maybe it's something like a, uh, proto music or a, meta music i mean it's been said that it's sort of improvised music is, is the underpinning of all musics um but then then maybe also it's like simultaneously the only music that exists um you were talking we were talking about going on tour and it's like that's that's what i feel when we're on tour doing this mm -hmm. music like why do i even do anything else i mean it, you have to in some sense uh if you want to engage with the world and i like the idea of you know testing what you're doing in uh, in other places in the world against in and playing with um, not just presenting your thing but putting it alongside what other people are doing right, in a cer yeah. certain city or region um, but really if we're talking about doing music it's like this is this is the, the only thing that's <laughs> seems seems to be uh, the sane approach to like act, you know th there's there's good reason to do it whereas I can't it's hard, harder and harder for me to like discuss think of a um, good reasons for doing that with other music, especially with um, the way that it, it, a lot of music is um, uh, taken in now. But um, but but I was thinking of also this, um, like with, with music, you can have like something like uh, pre prearranged music or uh, performance could be something that's like if you think of all music as, as sort of serving that purpose as bridging, bridging the gap between these two, two worlds, um, maybe, uh, improvised music is all, there's also a little hierarchy within that. Like improvised music is like going to be edging more towards the realm of the unknown of, mm -hmm. of chaos. Um, I mean, definitely it, <laughs> if it's defined by anything, it's definitely defined by the unknown. Um, and then you have, uh, composed music, which is is uh, leaning towards the other foot mm -hmm. of the known world. And you could probably, you know, even with with performing composed music, you could probably like make arguments for the the interest, how interesting the performances are, are in in what degree it, parts might be imp improvised or changed a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
Um, even people who don't even think about it do that would naturally, if you're playing with someone else, you're listening. And so you're, you know, whenever you're playing with someone and listening, there's always a, a little bit of a, some degree of improvisation, change, or communication mm -hmm. that you're hearing. Um, that's what I, I, used, I used to think about the, um, this amusement park where I grew up, Cedar Point in Ohio, my brother and I would go, and you'd see those bands that play there, where they play like literally, I don't know how many times a day, they play the same music, they're like in the, you know, in the saloon, they're playing in the old time saloon with the, you know, the corny songs, but they, they do that so many times, the exact same songs a day, and it, so it's like watching robots play, and, it, it, and I always, you know, we would always talk about that, how how weird it made us feel that and then it was so completely s structured and and done exactly the same way and then we started thinking like what if you started like changing that a little bit or you know just the possibilities because you're doing it so much um yeah i think when a lot of people are in those situations they try and naturally find something to break up that that monotony yeah until where, the point you get where, fired where, i guess and then, and then you get fired <laughs> But no, it's like uh, shooting free throws, you know, basketball players, right, yeah. you know, every time that's what you're supposed to do, you know, get it nothing mm -hmm. but net. Yeah. Get it in the basket. Some but, but it's amazing that players don't, yeah, they, they don't get it better. They don't do better. Than no, that, which yeah. is why it's exciting. But isn't mm -hmm. that amazing that people are, yeah. can somehow still be excited by yeah. <laughs> seeing, seeing that occur uh, in, in music? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you um, are are you familiar with like the 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 noise band scene in different places? So it's called noise noise music now. I like to say that I've never made a note of noise in my life. For the record, like, yeah. But, what, I mean, uh, is that is that become like a a, a distinction or a, or a thing that you, you know have? Yeah, it's kind of like the modern day folk music. I don't think there's any town I, I've been to in this uh, great land of ours that. I haven't seen there's like some one or two of these basement dwelling uh characters getting a couple i think the the entry point is is quite quite easy so i think that's what attra attracts a lot of people mm -hmm. and it doesn't cost a lot of money you can get a couple effects pedals or do s create some internal feedback and off you're going mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm i'm, I'm aware of it do you, do you get do you get on do you play some places on bills with with other with noise bands or does that happen sometimes where you're grouped yeah, with them? We're I think we're grouped primarily with noise bands and other maybe other improvisers. That's that's mm -hmm. most of what right. what happens. Um, we're always kind of pleasantly surprised when it's something else, but yeah, that that seems to be. Uh, it's like I said, it's, it's pretty ubiquitous. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. That, and that some, you know, it, I'll hear stuff for the first time and, you know, so-called no, no, noise band or a, a band that calls itself a noise band, yeah, but I'll often just but one I'll, person, but I'll like that. Some of it I'll really like, and some, I, I, I don't, I don't. And I don't, and I think like, I'm not sure what I'm basing that on. Really, it's you know I have to figure out what I'm not comparing it to other noise bands. Even 
I guess I'm probably comparing it to other music I've heard. Yeah. But you know, like, I don't know why I like some and some I don't like. <laughs> and it's hard to just, it's hard to tell anyone that why, why it is. Huh. Well, I think about what it, what is the differentiation between when calling something a noise versus improvisation? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of because it you know that's usually well, it's not always improvised noise bands. I suppose that they're. I suppose some are very re rehearsed. That's and, true, and and some are totally improvised. So it could be it could be either. Right. A lot of it's, inter it, it's usually loud. Though. I think they were right <laughs> into extreme volume and density. So that's those are kind of like hallmark distinctions. That's the the one thing I've gotten to care less about is is uh, volume in any. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, what did Plato say? Uh, empty vessels make the loudest sounds. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> I just, yeah, just. Bother, things bother me. Volume bothers me more, but mm -hmm. um, that could be for, be for anything, though. Um, Is that just volume when it's sustained at a, at a certain level, or <laughs> or you like if something has some more sleep, uh, peaks and valleys, if yeah, you will? No, it, it, you, yeah, you, you just have a threshold of decibels that you don't loud, want. It to loud be. volume could be really nice, though. I I, I saw. Diamond Glass a few years back, um, when I lived in Portland, and it, it was a, I think it was a solo performance she was doing, and it was they, they said it was, they gave everyone earplugs. They they said you've got to wear earplugs because the volume level is going to be so loud that it, it will cause ear damage, and so it was supposed to you know affect you viscerally. The volume, so it was. It was. I enjoyed it, and um, but it was this weird situation where there was a, a a brownout in Portland. I haven't experienced brownouts that often, where the electricity on the whole grid goes down, so a lot of the electricity goes out. But everything was down on. A, I thought you were going to say something else. Like. <laughs> everything, all the all the electricity was down on a whole level. Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize that happened in that evening. So it, it, this was kind of a unique experience in that I went to a performance that was extremely loud volume, wore earplugs, after, that made, might have been affected by the brownout, where it wasn't actually that loud. Then I walked home, and all the light was dimmed in the whole city. And, and I thought, that, that performance just did something to my brain. Everything... <laughs> Has gotten dim. <laughs> That's a lot different. I think I, for the first and uh, last time that I saw her perform, <laughs> I, I think I fell asleep. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. And there was no brown. What is the difference between a brownout and a blackout? I, I think that it's it's like a partial blackout, where maybe some of the uh, maybe some places there's a full blackout, but I think some of the the whole the whole um, level was lower. Like I got, like the lights would be, you have your lights on and they were like half as bright. 
That was really strange. Yeah, I thought it was going to be something yeah. more uh, scatological or a, a, <laughs> no. a citywide septic tank explosion or something. Yeah. But, but, yeah, no, that could be a, a different kind, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's yeah, that's kind of an off subject where that experience is never going to happen again. But things that put you to sleep—that's an—that's an interesting subject. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw something recently. There was this composer that was intentionally trying to. Uh, <laughs> Um, write music that was supposed to have that. He encouraged the audience and I think he was like surrounded. Uh, now they've, they've become so self-aware that I think they're just like marketing <laughs> the possibility, you know, uh, classical music has become so, so utterly uh, hypnagogic that they're, they're inviting their audience to just pass it, pass right out right. during the performance. But I, yeah, I saw something where this guy was doing, doing his composition where you're supposed to sleep in bed. They have all these beds around. Oh, they had beds. Yeah. So it was, re- it was some, really some kind of conscious, actually. conscious thing. <laughs> Did people, yeah, that makes sense conscious, that someone do that. I've never heard of that, but that makes sense. There's, I fall asleep in movies. I used to fall asleep in movies more. Mm-hmm. And um, I see more during the daytime now. So maybe maybe it was in the, I would see them in the evening. If you've had a big dinner or something, go to a movie. But yeah. I've had experiences where I've fallen asleep and and then woke woken up and it was kind of enhanced the movie sometimes you'd you'd actually go into that dream that dream state a little bit yeah and wake up and the movie's got that dreamlike quality right and it sort of changes the whole experience yeah well movies kind of are like a dream yeah i mean we suspend our disbelief so quickly Mm -hmm. when you're entering so it's like you're yeah you're out of uh you know, it's like a truly sort of liminal uh, space or something when you're like coming. I mean, you're already in that, right? When you're like coming out of a sleep state, and then and then it's like, oh, well, now I'm just in another dream. Yeah, <laughs> that is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah I've had that. in the dark. Mm-hmm. But I've, I was thinking of you know falling asleep to la- things where there is a sustained volume or dynamic, like that dull roar. I really can. I've fallen asleep at a lot of noise shows. That are loud ones. Yeah, because it's like, it's, you know, it's monotonous. So it does sort of like lull you to, like the way that um, a continuous sound of like a fan or something Mm -hmm. can have that effect. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. I put on two fans to sleep at night usually, even if I don't need to, even if it's cool. I just like that. Uh, I used to have one of those white noise machines too. Oh, yeah. Well, there used to be, uh, you know, um, Jack sort of engaged in this this music for a while, and I was kind of, um, as a result of moving into his house in Philly, um, engaging with some of these musicians and playing with this this sort of like reductionist or lowercase improvisation. There was kind of like this uh, ASMR <laughs> uh. Uh, brand of brand of uh, improvising, and people. I just remember these guys. Uh, I think they were from Seattle or something. This, um, this was all in his house. You were playing these sessions privately, and uh, they got up and they just played one sound continuously, and they just felt that they had found the perfect sound, oh, and yeah. they held it for like twenty minutes, and just that was <laughs> that was it and they looked at each other like this was the after it was over like 
this is the most thrilling thing that could have ever occurred in their lives. I was like, uh, what planet have I, what have I, what strange world have I entered into? I like the idea of that. Yeah. Yeah, that ASMR thing is weird. That whole world. What does that stand for? Do you know? I'm familiar with that term and and, and I had known it's one point, and I don't... Someone I mean, told me about it, that, and then I looked up. I I looked on the internet, of course. Cheating, we have because yeah. we can do that. Yeah, it's uh, not in our autonomous sensory meridian response. Uh, yeah, I never remember that. Yeah. Um, then you look out, uh, you start seeing the, the videos on YouTube. <laughs> It'll be million, interesting. Do you think that you have an ASMR voice? That I do. Randy? Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. This could be yeah. this could be an ASMR podcast. But yeah, maybe I do. I, I um, don't know what I, I don't know what my how other people perceive my voice. Yeah, I know that. I think there's a lot a lot of money to be made there. Yeah, well, you do have a pretty con it does have a pretty calming effect. I think. I listened back to some of um, uh, some podcast stuff we we've, we've recorded of me. Uh, and, and not like my voice. And, you know, and it's a common thing for people not to like their voice. Right. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's weird how that that bugs you. So, you know, I probably won't do it very much <laughs> because uh, you, you become self-conscious of it. Then, uh, and it, that I, I've, I've sang before in, in the past and not had that same experience. Which is strange because talking always it always bothers me talking. Well, but, it's your true voice. You know, you feel when you're singing, it's kind of a mask. Or yeah, I suppose so. And um, you know, I've I've heard myself singing where I thought it was like just really bad, and other times where I thought it was pretty good. So, but that's different than the speaking voice. Um, but it's an all different thing, I guess. Yeah, I think the more that you do it and you listen back to recordings, or at least for in my experience, I've, I've gotten more, let's say, accepting of it, yeah. more at ease. Yeah. Um, but, but that is a shocking thing, because I think what it is is people hear their voices in general as being in their resonating in their body as, as, a, as a lower pitch than it, it's perceived to everyone else right yeah. yeah i think what one thing that bothered me was just my the way i speak not even the tone or the sound of it but you know the the what i say relate in relation to th thinking and it's that's become it kind of bugged me mm -hmm. and um i should probably not think about it too much we're gonna throw you off the rails here yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I've I've thought about one thing I've thought about playing mu music is because I played music in the past quite a bit and then not lately and but I I've thought about like the idea of um, of rehearsing songs and and then and then when you go to record a song that you have rehearsed how how the level of uh, the, the level of tension you have increases so much as soon as you record it, and it becomes so much more difficult. And then that, that idea of playing in, in a 
playing it perfectly, trying to play play something perfectly and not make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that just that the idea of that just bothers me so much that like like the best you can do is is something that is not that interesting. That <laughs> it's too- yeah, I feel like I've rarely, if ever, had a, an experience that wasn't full of tension and a great struggle in a high pressure sort of recording scenario or conventional recording scenario. Um, and it's almost as if I've had the sort of fleeting thoughts that uh, perhaps perhaps the best music or most interesting music uh, is are things that don't exist on recordings at all. Maybe maybe none of it's ever been recorded because that's what happens. Like yeah, there's something, right. there's some like ineffable force that uh, uh, prevents that. But yeah, I mean, it automatically feels like you're doing something that's that doesn't matter how many times you've rehearsed it or worked it out. It's it's you're doing something that's that's contrived in yeah. some way. It's not for that moment. It's something for posterity. And it's like there isn't any way. It's almost like when you have to go to the bathroom and you you know you really got to pee, and then suddenly you have awareness that there's a bathroom kind of close. And then, oh, you, then you yeah. really got to go. Yeah. And there isn't any way to like shut that off in your mind. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's a weird phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, the closer you get to the bathroom, then it, the harder, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the worse it is. Yeah, making a record and uh, taking a piss. Or, that's uh, a good comparison, too, yeah. Too dissimilar. I think people get the with with popular recordings, I mean, especially in, in rock music, I think people have the idea that, get this idea that this, recording that happened was almost mystical or something like that yeah they were you know that the recording that everybody's heard that was the one recording that was somehow perfect perfectly played could never possibly be played better there was no nothing that could have been better than that Mm -hmm. it's kind of weird how that's more in in the rock era that that happened and even more you know because when people used to do standards people would just do the same some people do the same song many times, mm-hmm. and but you know with, the rock, with rock music, that's it's, it's strange how that got to be. Where that that recording, that's the thing. Well, and, I think the medium of recording became. I mean, what a lot of people are listening to in rock music, even if they can't consciously express it or understand it, isn't necessarily uh, the you know harmonic, melodic. Uh, or rhythmic content or something it's uh it's more timbral you know it's it's tone and sonority so like uh the developments that occurred with recording um you know the sort of revolutions in production um were creating all these new exciting timbres and uh i mean that's really the break i don't think that was happening with with jazz, despite the fact that they were, you know, changing these tunes and so forth, mm-hmm. not, there was a, a lot of. I mean, you had great engineers like Rudy Van Gelder or something like that 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 were um, uh, bringing recording techniques to a higher level, but it was still very much in the mode of um, conventional document. Let's really grab the sound of these guys playing in this room, yeah. Uh, versus, you know, let's create an art art object. Or, mm-hmm. or maybe they weren't even thinking art object, but but um, like some some something that we can really construct 
using the studio as as a, a creative device. Right. And but you have to think that sometimes the people who play will listen to that back and just hear things that no one else hears where they're just I didn't I could have done that differently. Yeah. Well maybe yeah. over time they, they forget that. I think that's even more like a like filmmakers always talk about that. Like they can't mm-hmm. most of them, if any, like can't watch their own movies because they're always yeah. so tearing themselves apart about change they, how they would have gone back and changed mm-hmm. this and that. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sure people have that with records. I, I never understood the idea of like people that don't want to listen to their their records. I mean, it's like uh, you know, I think that's part of the motivation is <laughs> you're making something because nobody you're there's a there's a void to be filled and there's a lack of something that you would like to hear so you mm-hmm. you have an, uh, these ideas that f- come together and you actualize it uh and it seem, seems like s- some kind of uh i guess people have s- strange insecurities or so forth but and that i can imagine that being upsetting if you really did want it to be a completely completely something else but it's like you know the budgets aren't anywhere near what it costs to to do a um like a film or something like you you, right. know, you can you can get it right if you want to mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah 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 especially now yeah you're, you're not even using tape so mm-hmm. well that's yeah I've, I've worked on some films with people and yeah it's maddening you just keep yeah you, you keep going back and changing and changing and um well, of course, the editing process there has changed too. It's digital, where people when they used to, it was a little different when they cut a actual film, where you had to just make a decision and stick with it. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's the same with like a lot of electronic music now too. Mm-hmm. The, the way that these guys were like cutting tape, uh, the arduous hours that it took to do something, which now would be a much more simple procedure but the fact that they were spending the time doing it um is is what made the i mean the the process itself was was sort of like mm-hmm. something that couldn't be cheated and, and yeah. the resu- results were more profound because they 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 took the time and they did the work i mean yes because technologically you could do it more uh, expediently i mean uh, well that's the whole thing mm-hmm. <laughs> meaning and time and the work are a lot more valuable and important than expediency you know yeah yeah that's it yeah that's the interesting that certain thing how the much the process affects certain things too that's mm-hmm. that's a big change a big factor well what are, um where are you where are you heading next after um uh here you're going to chicago right and you're continuing your tour in chicago toledo cleveland and pittsburgh i'm I'm, um you know by the time this podcast comes out it'll be you know sometime in the future we don't know but uh i'm i'm always interested in the traveling parts of of people touring just from places i've lived do you know where you're playing in Cleveland? I uh, can't recall. Mayhalls. All oh, right, bowling alley. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, okay, I've. I've, I've uh, I think I played. The, we've played there before. Yeah, I, I lived near there for a while, and uh, mm-hmm. 
Last thing I saw there was a, an, actually I saw a noise band show mm -hmm. last time I was there. Yeah, that was kind of the trip that was happening and, uh, when we were there. A fr friend of mine um, was uh, actually Mike DeTaco. DeTaco? Mike, Mike DeTaco, put a microphone on a taco. Oh, Mike DeTaco. <laughs> That was part of it. So that was pretty, I, I thought that was kind of now, one of the best things I've seen. <laughs> now you're talking my language. Yeah, yeah that was that was great. I, I like was, to see somebody memorable. cooking a recipe up there. Yeah, it, was just, it, was a, it was an existing taco that was waiting to be eaten, but she put the mic on it. And, uh -huh. um, no, I like that. It was, it was good. It was a, I like when Did the taco have anything to say or do or yeah. it was just oh, it was just kind of yeah serving as a prop also i, I talked i also when i saw someone play there i talked to a, a woman in the bar for a long time which never happens to me you know like where a woman comes up to me and talks and she's talking and talking and um I, I, and I, I was sort of new in town, and I assumed that she knew everybody, everyone there, she, you know, was friends with everybody. Eventually, she wanted me to buy a drink, and I said, no, I'm not going to buy you a drink. And so she moved on. <laughs> and then and then I asked my friends, I said, who was who that was talking to me? And, like, nobody knew her. So that was strange. So, you know, you might be in for a interesting night there yeah yeah i think our last time was was could be described as being pretty interesting i i'm i find it uh i think jack was maybe telling me that you had um uh written something about uh, maybe the art of, art of uh courting women or something it's at, at some courting point. women um, i don't know about that it's... so what, no i just found that interesting i had forgotten about that and then I, when you said that this woman well it's not very often that a woman would approach you uh, in this bar, and now I'm thinking, um, well, it, you know, uh, I, I, he, hadn't, he hadn't mentioned anything in depth about it, but I was, I was curi <laughs> curious about the extent of what, what you had written about that. Oh, no, I don't, I don't, he might be mixing me up with somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Buka Bukowski, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a, a book called Women. Mm. But, uh, no, I don't know. Over, it, yeah, over the over many years of uh, of uh, doing zines, and I did a lot of zines. I've done done. I did zines for, since 1982, mm. and um, not published a lot of things elsewhere. But people ask me about stuff sometimes that they they remember, and I don't even remember it, mm -hmm. and uh, have to be prompted to remember it. Or, Something that are we running out of time? Okay, we're uh, all right. Um, Chocolate bar in there, you are. Yeah, and it's a night, and I'm and also I'm uh, near the bathroom. I started, <laughs> oh, I got <laughs> that I just had, in your mind. Yeah, yeah, I just had a lot of <laughs> coffee, water. Well, th thanks a lot for uh, talking. And uh, do you, do you have a, a, any contact information you want to um, uh, just give us verbally right now that? Uh, telepathically, I'm available at uh, your, your standard working hours, but uh, yeah, uh, there's a uh, yeah there's a there's a web page that's also on uh, Jack's site, which is uh, springgardenmusic.com, and you can find it on there. Okay, all right, sounds good. Well, thanks a lot, and I look forward to seeing your performance. Today. Yeah.
Um, yeah, this was this was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Nice to meet you. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Ryan. All right. Tennessee.